Just before we um, release our bridge kids, let me just remind you of the uh, Mercy Fund. Uh, I'm grateful Luke brought that up. We put that in the program uh, the first week of every month on Communion Sunday, so there's correlation. We just there's a reminder between uh, Communion and our Mercy Fund. Um, we use the Mercy Fund to, uh, for special needs, like Luke mentioned. Uh, we sometimes help people that need uh, overnight, sometimes uh, help people with utilities or pay rent or groceries or gas. Uh, we've used it to help people in the church and people outside of the church. So it's very important, and uh, you know we're hitting the winter months, and there are bigger needs in the winter than other times in the year. So this is a reminder. This is something you give um, above and beyond your regular giving, and you can do this online, or you can do it any Sunday, but we just uh, want to remind you of that. And Bridge Kids, thanks for being here to worship with us, and you can go to Bridge Kids and help your teachers. We are in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20 this morning, and the message is entitled, Until Christ is Formed in You. So we've been working through this series and um, learning a lot about what it means to be free in Christ. There's a fascinating concept that was coined in 1945 called cargo cults. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Sometimes there's a little bit of news about that. Uh, cargo cults were documented in World War II at time and at times prior back uh, to the 19th century. And here's an example uh, before World War II, natives in the Southwest Pacific had very little or if any contact with the outside world. Um, during World War II, natives were mesmerized when Japan came to their islands. And then later, American troops came to their islands. And they, they saw these military troops, and they all wore the same uniforms, and they, and they marched in order. And they prepared landing strips, and out of the sky came these huge uh, airplanes. I didn't even know what they were. And they brought strange things with them. They brought more troops and powerful guns and all kinds of equipment that they'd never seen before. Um, these large flying ships brought other strange things like Coca-Cola, canned food, clothing, basic medicine, and chocolate. And these were often given to the islanders as special gifts. When the war ended, the mysterious visitors to the islands left. And the islanders uh, were quite disappointed to have all of these troops leave, just pack up and leave. They wanted the planes and the troops to come back and bless them with all those good things. So to get the visitors from the sky to return, the islanders built new airstrips on their own, and they covered the airstrips with uh, straw. They made control towers with bamboo and rope. Um, they tried to make clothes, clothing that resembled the military. They carved, and this is interesting, they carved and wore wooden headsets to look like uh, some of the troops. 
They tried to mimic exactly the hand gestures of soldiers directing the planes while landing in hopes that they would bring the big airships back. They believed if they practiced these rituals just like the soldiers, the heavenly airships would return. They would be blessed with Coca-Cola, new clothes, medicines, canned goods, and chocolate. You'd probably do that. Some of you would do that for chocolate. And, you know, the practice like this, practice of rituals like this sounds a little bit silly to us. And uh, it sounds pretty ignorant to Western minds. But when you think of it, many people practice certain things to be good with God, hoping God will do something for them. Often it's what they think of who God is and what they're supposed to do about God. They have rituals. They have practices. They do religious things so that God will notice them. Maybe God will bless them. Sometimes even Christians do things. Sometimes Christians go through the motions. They do things that are good. They even serve They think if they're good enough, maybe God will accept them. And they've missed uh, God's whole perspective. The problem is God doesn't accept people for being good or practicing religious rituals. God accepts people who place their faith in Jesus Christ and trust him. People who understand that they're sinners People that understand that they don't deserve to have a relationship with God or to be forgiven or to be saved or to have eternal life. People understand that God sent his son. This is what Christmas is all about. God sent his son. God became a human in the form of a baby, and he would grow up and he would die on the cross, and when he did, he'd pay the penalty for our sins, for the sins of the entire world, for every person, no matter who they are. And God's requirement is, Trust Jesus for who he is and what he's done, that he died for you. It's a personal decision, a personal choice that people uh, need to make. The Galatians have already understood this gospel message. They have drifted away and have been allured into a new kind of cult, a new kind of cult-like thinking. That is, to believe in Jesus, and that's how they started but to believe in Jesus and be circumcised and keep the law, that 613 commands in the Old Testament. Um, And this adds something to the gospel. This adds something that is not true. This is creating something more. And sometimes people think that they have their own way of doing things better better than the way God does things. So here we go. We're going to start as Paul speaks to the Galatians in chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Let me just remind you, I'm going to go back to Galatians chapter 1. Just read a couple verses. I've read them before. But this is what the book of Galatians is about. Uh, Verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people, remember, they are called Judaizers. They're false teachers. They're trying to mix truth 
with error. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. Then he's going to repeat that in verse 9, say it again, let them be eternally condemned. That's the issue Paul is dealing with. The problem is they're drifting. Uh, If you follow on your outline and your program, and here's how it uh, comes out on the PowerPoint, the problem is... You have a personal relationship with Christ, and you're turning to legalism. You have a personal relationship with Christ already, but you are now turning to legalism. That's the issue um, that was happening in the Galatian churches. Now, a way to think about legalism, legalism is when you add rules to God's rules. Add rules that he doesn't have. You add your own. You, You may think they're good, but it's adding rules to God's. And it's legalism. Now, verse 8 is the former situation, their lives before. Paul writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. Before Paul had come and preached the gospel, they did not know Jesus Christ. They did not have a personal relationship with Christ, with God. Um, They were in a kind of slavery. It was like a cargo cult. They had certain practices and rituals as it related to the gods of their culture. And they went through certain motions hoping to please their gods. Um, They had a worldview that that did not know or understand the true and living God. They, They followed after the popular religious concepts of their day. They worshiped other gods, small g which are no gods at all. Now we can see this environment that they lived in in Acts 14. Uh, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. So uh, Paul had come to preach the gospel in the Galatian churches, and um, they they performed some miracles while they were there, And they really impressed the audience. So much so, the people were amazed, and they thought the mythological gods of Greece, they were were copycats, they were worshiping the gods of Greece, they thought they had come down in their city. The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Herms, because he was the chief speaker. Next slide. Notice we have to shorten our... PowerPoint a little bit because of the roof, okay? The priest of Zeus, so see they have a worship set up right here. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. See, they're hooked into a cult. They're, they're going to do their rituals, they're going to do their thing, and they're going to hope they get blessed. Next slide. But when the apostles and Barnabas heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Next slide. Friends, why are you doing this? We are two, are only human. We're just like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And all I wanted you to see is that's the culture. It was very religious, very excitable, very passionate, and that's what the Galatians, the kind of situation, there are probably other views, that's just 
an example right there. It's basically a worldview without God, uh, without the true and living God. It includes uh, men who are really smart, men who have come up with philosophy on how the, how the world operates and how our ethics should be and the kinds of choices we should make and doing it without the true and living God. The current situation is verse 9, but now you know God. Things have changed. But now you know God, or rather are known by God. So Paul clearly believes that they're born again, that this group here, the Galatians, they did receive the gospel. They are genuine followers of Christ. They were born again. So it's not about them not being saved. And he used the word know here. And it's kind of a significant concept because, the, you know, every once in a while I have to impress you with Greek words. The word is gnosko. It means to know in a personal, intimate way. Paul could have used a Greek word, oida, which means to know intellectually the facts. Okay? This is the personal, the intimate. They have a personal relationship with them, and God has a personal relationship with them. And he knows everything about them. He knows, he knows their needs. He knows their fears. He knows their limitations. He knows their struggles. He knows their pain. And they are in relationship, and they can communicate, and they can trust him. And you know what? That's true about you, too. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's personal. It really is a personal relationship. God truly knows every detail about you. This made a world of difference to me when I came to faith because I thought for God so loved the world meant that he was way out there somewhere in the sky in heaven. And he looked down at the earth and it was a little dot, the globe, and he loved the globe. I didn't know he loved me and all my junk because I had a lot. And just to think he, he wanted me the way I was, that was huge for me. And whatever you're facing right now, God knows. He knows every detail. He knows what you need. He knows what's ahead. He knows how you're going to get there. You can trust him. Okay. He says, but now that you know God, or rather known by God, how is it that you're running back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved all over them, all over again? This makes no sense to Paul. They already know God. Why do they want to change what they have? Why do they think they're going to be able to do it better? This is kind of a temptation that humans have, is that if things sometimes seem too simple, well, I don't think that's an, I need to do more for God. That's not enough that I just have faith. I'm going to better myself, and I'm going to do good things. And we start to lose the focus of what grace is. And, and instead of believing in Jesus and being circumcised, we ended up living like the way we're supposed to live is to believe and be good, and then we try to please God. And we get confused of just about how simple the gospel is. It's by grace through faith, and there's nothing else. And that, yes, there's living by grace, and there's living by faith one day at a time, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. Verse 10, the wrong goals. He says, you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. 
They have taken on the Old Testament law and all of those special days. The Sabbath day was one of those. That's the sixth day. That's the Saturday. And guess what? The church started worshiping on Sunday, the first day. And they want to go back and say, no, we're going to do this Sabbath thing. And uh, they did special months and they did special seasons and years. The years would be the Sabbath year. So if this is going to be a long-term thing, every seventh year, they got to do a Sabbath year and not work the ground. And then every, every uh, 49th year, year 50, they, after seven Sabbaths, they have to stop everything again. And, have, and, and they're, they're following laws of the Old Testament that they are no longer required to keep. And they had seven festivals every year to keep. And now the Galatians are trying to follow those festivals, things like uh, Pentecost and, and um, uh, the Passover and unleavened bread and the Feast of the Booths. And guess what? There are seven. And what were their purposes? They all pointed to Christ. And Christ says, come. Why do we want to go back? And uh, they're not required to keep these. They have Christ. They have what's better. Verse 11, the logical outcome. He says, I fear that you somehow, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. If you return to personal achievements and set aside the way of faith, Paul's ministry is wasted, basically. Number two, on your outline, the need. You need to return to the freedom and joy you had in Christ. You need to return to the freedom and the joy you had at the beginning when you started with Christ. Verse 12, turn back to your freedom in Christ. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. And here Paul takes on the role, a personal role, the role of a pastor here, the role of a parent. He cares. He's invested in their lives. He's called them foolish Galatians earlier, but this is a, this is a he's calling them brothers and sisters. These are family terms. And he says, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. Become like me. He says, you know what? I was once enslaved to religion. I was very zealous about it. I did everything right. I was extre- this was extremely important. I kept every rule. And when the Christians showed up, I knew, I believed at the time that they, that was heresy. And so I tried to destroy the Christians. I had some put to death. I had their, con- their property confiscated. I was passionate about this. I was zealous, he thought, for God. But he had an encounter with Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus that changed everything. And he meant Jesus. And he understood what forgiveness was. And he understood what legalism was. And he understood what freedom was to follow Christ and to have Christ's strength and Christ's power to live one day at a time. He says, I became like you. Um, They, at the beginning, when they placed their faith in Christ, they had been set free, and they understood this freedom. And Paul had become like them, and now he's saying, become like me. Why would you turn back to the law? It makes no sense. Um, We've already looked at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, but this is how Paul wants to live his life. This is what Paul would have for the Galatians. I think this is a great reminder for us. I've been crucified with Christ. When I placed my faith with Christ, um, I got connected to to God, and there was a uh, co-crucifixion, an identification with Christ where uh, 
I died, I was buried, and I was raised again. I was given a new position in Christ. I was connected, I was united with Christ, and I took on the benefits of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Paul's saying, I don't want me, I want him. But Christ lives in me. That's the change. And here's, here's a great reminder. It's impossible to live Christian life without Christ. Sometimes we try to do it. We do it in our own strength, in our own power, and we go through the motions. We even go to church. We even serve, and we don't acknowledge Jesus, and we don't operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's Christ lives in me. The the life I now live in the body, in the flesh, right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a life of faith. It's not about how smart you are and all that you can do. It's about you still need to trust Christ every day, every morning when you get up. Not for salvation, but for strength. I can do all things. This is really important to me. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do what God wants me to do one day at a time, one hour at a time, if I have Christ's strength. Um. So, it's impossible to live the Christian life without Christ. And Jesus, think about this, this is the other side of the coin. Jesus Christ is the only one who can live the Christian life. Do you get that? Christ in you. He's the only one. You can't do it. But Christ in you, you can. If you're operating in the power and strength of Christ. Verse 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says, Remember your first encounter with the gospel. He reminds them about their first meeting. Verse 13, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Now, some of you will go away, and the most important thing you'll get out of this message is you want to talk about what Paul's illness was. That is not that important, what Paul's illness was. Some scholars think it was malaria. Some scholars think he had a stomach issue. Some scholars think that he had some kind of eye disease, something that came on that was probably pretty awful to look at, probably oozing stuff. It was embarrassing. Uh, We don't know what this physical issue is. There are some clues, but they may not be conclusive at all. Paul's point is... Um, it was a trial for them, even though my illness was a trial to you. This was a difficulty for the Galatians. Uh, I remember a situation where I felt like Paul a little bit, where, you know, Paul had this illness and it was embarrassing and he went to preach the gospel and he had to preach the gospel even though his, his eyes may have been oozing or something was pretty ugly that was embarrassing to everybody around him and they put up with him. I remember... In December 1975, I knew that I was going to be going to seminary and we are going to be moving, and I had a job with good insurance, and the dentist told me I had impacted wisdom teeth and I better get them taken care of. And so being smart and wanting my medical coverage to cover this, I thought about those things way back then. And so I would have my four impacted wisdom teeth removed before we went to seminary. Smart thinking. And so I did. And back then, I don't know that they knew as much about removing wisdom teeth as they do today, but I was in the hospital overnight, 
and uh, they hammered and chiseled, and I don't know what all they did. But I was pretty well laid up, and uh, when I came out, it was awful. And I had these huge black eyes trimmed in yellow, and my jaws were swelled way up, hardly recognizable. You know, some people get it. You know, David just had his out, and he, went, he got through with flying colors from my perception, even though he may have had some difficulty. Um, but this was terrible. I was a brand new Christian, excited to share my faith. We were trying to share our faith with everybody I came in contact at work, people from the past. And God kept sending people from my past to my door. We just got home from the hospital, and uh, three college friends contacted and said, could we come by? We're anxious to see you. We're uh, getting ready to move uh, to California. And um, so we said, sure. But I hadn't told them yet. I felt extremely obligated to tell people what had happened to me, that I you know, placed my faith in Christ, and I have a new life now, and I don't do some of the things I used to do with them. And so they came over, and here I am, huge, black and yellow, swollen, and I'm going to tell them my life has changed. <laughs> and, and we did. We had the opportunity to share the whole story, um, how I... I'd been, I'd been a philosophy major and been in uh, classes with uh, the husbands. There was, there was two wives and one husband that day. I'd been in philosophy classes with both husbands. And so, you know, I share my story and how I'd placed my faith in Christ and the difference he'd made. You know what? All three placed their faith in Christ within about two days. And it was like, this is what it must have been like for Paul. It's really weird, and yet... God uses people like that, you know. God uses anybody to share the gospel. He just wants vessels who want to honor him, clean, clean vessels. Okay. Uh, he said in verse 14, Instead, Galatians, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if uh, Christ Jesus, I were Christ Jesus himself. The, the, the Galatians ex- responded extremely well to Paul. As, as if, Paul, this is, you must be a real angel. You're a heavenly messenger. You came to us and you shared this good news. This is awesome, Paul. It's just like, this is like, are you Jesus? And it was, they had such a high view of Paul when this happened. Um, I will throw, uh, this is kind of a side here, Galatians 6, 11, because this is kind of the order I have in my outline. Um, Paul is going to close the letter, and he's going to say, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Some would say this is an argument to say that Paul's problem was an eye problem. He can't see, and he's reminding them of how he writes. Maybe or maybe not. When we get to Galatians 6, it won't make any difference. Verses 15 and 16, remember the joy after you came to faith in Christ? Remember that life was joyful? Verse 15, where then is your blessing? And that's the word for joy. In the old NIV, it's the word is joy. In the new, newest NIV, it's blessing. Uh, where then is your blessing of me now? They were so excited when Paul came. They felt so blessed by God that God would send a messenger just to the Galatian area. Paul was uh, from Antioch, uh, from Syria, and... Um, 
Jerusalem, that, that's where he came from. And what is he doing out here in, Galatia, in the Galatian churches, or meeting the Galatian people? And uh, they, were, they felt so blessed. They were so thankful for Paul. Um, he said, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. That's another reason that some people think it was an eye problem because they're watching Paul and, and they're, they're saying, we'll, tear, we'll give you our eyes, Paul. We, this is nothing compared to what you've given us. Now, that may mean that they, uh, Paul had an eye problem. And I said, you'll be t- some of you will be talking more about what the problem is and what the message is about. But... This may have been also a common saying in the ancient world when you wanted to express sacrifice or commitment for somebody that you'd give your very eyes because they're so crucial uh, to life. And he goes on, verse 16, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, Paul's coming back. He's just saying, he's just teaching what he taught in the first place. And he's teaching the truth. And it's upsetting to them. And he says, Have I become your enemy? You treat me like I'm your enemy. We come uh, to verses uh, 17 and through 20, the ultimate goal now. The ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is you must walk in freedom until Christ is formed in you. You must walk in freedom until Christ is formed in you. And verse 17 is Paul is saying to them, now you're in a danger. You're in danger of major deception. Verse 17, those people are zealous to win you over. They're passionate to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us. They want to separate you. They want you to quit paying attention to the teaching of the Apostle Paul so that you may have zeal for them. They want you to become fully devoted Judaizers. That's what they would like to accomplish if they could. Verse 18, Be clear about pursuing what is actually good. Paul reminds them, it is fine to be zealous. It's fine to be passionate. Make sure you know what you're passionate about, provided the the purpose is good. And to be so always, not just when I'm with you. So being passionate is good. Being zealous is good. Make sure you're passionate about following Jesus. That's what Paul would say to them. Don't be passionate about following the false teachers. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, this is the kind of thing Paul would have, like, this is what he said to the Colossians, the kind of thing he would have said to the Galatians as well. He says, so then, just as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. You did receive Christ. You did place your faith. You did understand the gospel of grace. Continue in that grace. Continue your walk by faith. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Walk in Christ's strength. It is Christ in you who's going to live the Christian life. Uh, Just as you receive Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Next slide. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy like the Judaizers which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Colossians 3, verses 7 through 10. It's about living by faith. Paul reminds the Colossians, you used to walk in these ways, 
and the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. He's going to say, here's some things that won't be appropriate as you follow Christ. Anger, and it's not just that you have emotions. It's what you do with that. It's about spilling it over and hurting other people. Rage, malice, slander. Your speech is extremely important. Filthy language. You know, that, there's probably one right there that's getting really sloppy in our culture as Christians. Language. Some of you just think that we live in a culture and some of the things you say are okay, but I would like some of you to be more sensitive to God when it comes to your speech. I want to recommend that, but I'm not making any rules for you, okay? I'm not going to publish a list of words. Ask Christ what you should be aware of. Next, next slide. Do not lie to each other. That's not appropriate for a follower of Christ. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. That's going to be an important concept. The image of the creator. God is working to conform you to the image of the creator. We're going to see that uh, more in just a minute, which is the next and last point. Be clear about God's ultimate goal for your life, verses 19 through 20. Be clear. What is it that God wants for you? What does God want in your life? If God is successful with you, what will that be like? Okay? Verses, chapter 4, verses 19 through 20. My dear children, from whom I, again I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, and all mothers know... Paul is being a mother here. He's never, I don't think he ever went through childbirth. But he's used a very powerful metaphor. He says, again, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. When the Apostle Paul came to preach the gospel to the Galatians, it was hard work. He put a lot of effort in it. He strained at communication. He wanted to make it clear. He wanted people to understand and to respond. And it was a great work of God. And and they did respond and they were born again and their lives began to change and their sins were forgiven. But it's like Paul's going back to the drawing board, so to speak. He's going back into a great effort to deliver these people from what they've got wrapped up into uh, just like a cargo cult. They're trying to please and achieve things by personal effort, by going through some rituals, hoping they'll get noticed and God will somehow bless them. Um, Until Christ is formed in you, that's the name of the, the title of the message today. Until Christ is formed in you, um, God's goal for you, his ultimate goal, is that the character of Jesus Christ be formed in you, that your life be transformed, and that as you grow as a follower of Christ, your character will change slowly over time and become more and more and more like Jesus, so that You'll be more loving and kinder and patient and uh, gentle and forgiving. You'll be more like 
Jesus, and he has you in a process, and he's, he's using the circumstances of your life to help you grow so that Christ will be formed in you. Verse 20, how I wish I could be with you, Paul says, and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. You know, this writing a letter to you is tough. It's like sending an email in the middle of an argument, you know, and Paul has so much to say, and he'd like to see their face, and he'd like to dialogue, and he'd like to ask questions, and and he'd like to help them process this. Uh, He has so much more. Another key passage in the New Testament that that talks about this ultimate goal is Romans chapter 28, verse 28 through 30. And Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's, you know, it's, when we use this verse, sometimes it's just like, uh, I've heard it a million times, and we don't even think about it. Let me remind you, right now, we have a lot of things happening in the life of the bridge. We have, we have people in pain. We have people who are facing serious life situations. We have people who are struggling, and... Um, Paul writes, we know that in all things, God works for good. You know, all things are not good. Uh, Cancer is not good. Heart attacks are not good. Strokes are not good. Rheumatoid arthritis is not good. There are tons of other, thousands of other situations, whether it's financial or health or relational, and they're not good. But in all things, God works for good. And God can work for good. And uh, we're going to trust God to work good in a lot of situations in the days ahead. Next slide, verse 29. For those who foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what I want you to see right there. God is working for everybody who's come to faith in Christ, working to conform them to the image of his son. That is, until Christ is formed in you. That's, what, that's God's goal for your life. He wants Christ formed in you. He wants, he wants to conform you. So he will use circumstances in life to help us be conformed, become more like Jesus. And usually, we learn more in difficulty than we do when life's going great. Um, that he might be in the firstborn among many brothers, the position of Christ. Uh, last slide. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We could take a whole sermon on this verse right here, but here's the deal. Those who place their faith in Christ... God is going to care all the way through the cross until you're totally glorified with Jesus. Okay? All the way to the end. So, a couple questions here. When you look back through this past year, do you sometimes just go through the motions in your Christian life? Doing things in your own power, your own strength, and not, not relying on Christ's power, and strength. And I would just ask, what do you need to do to change this course? Are you like a cargo cult that focuses on doing a few things 
hoping that God will notice you and bless you because you're good. And you know what? That's just wishful thinking. It's impossible to live the Christian life without Christ. Jesus is the only one who can live the Christian life, and he wants to live it through you. And God's greatest goal for you is to be conformed to the image of Christ, to have Christ formed in you. So as you look back over this past year, do you see growth in your own life? Are you uh, conformed more to the image of Christ this year than you were one year ago? Is Christ working in you? So, um, today we are going to celebrate. So, uh, one final question would be, what will you do in 2016? I, I, I like, when I come to the end of the year, I like to start thinking ahead and what, making some thoughts about what, what some things I want to focus on. What would you focus on in 2016 to become more like Jesus? Would it be to be more generous, more patient, kinder, concerned about your speech? What will you do in 2016 to focus on being more like Jesus? When we come to communion, as we are today, communion reminds us of God's grace. And that's what Paul's been sharing week after week in the book of Galatians. We can't earn our salvation. That's what grace is about. Uh, we, we can do nothing to merit uh, our relationship with God. Communion reminds us what Jesus did for us, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sins. Uh, it's understanding that we're sinners, that we deserve death because the wages of sin uh, is death. Jesus took our place. He was our substitute. He died in our place. Today we take the bread and we take the cup and uh, we remember, we, we think, we, we, we go back. This is who I am. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me. Thank you, God. I don't deserve this. It was a gift. You, you died in my place. I don't deserve it. My sins are forgiven. I don't deserve it. I've been given eternal life. I don't deserve it. I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm made a citizen of heaven. I don't deserve it. Communion is also a time that uh, we are to examine our lives. And I want to do that uh, as we close this portion right now. To examine our lives. To make sure that we're okay with God. And it's a corporate thing. It's for the whole church. And the idea is that the whole church comes together. And the whole church confesses sin that needs to be confessed. And I want to take uh, some time. The scripture says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And purify us of all unrighteousness. And uh, we, we can all be on the same page under the lordship of Christ. And so let's just uh, take uh, some time and bow before God. And just silently from your heart, talk to God. Ask him to show you anything that you need to be uh, trusting him for, asking forgiveness for. Like, have you just, have you, you find yourself going through the motions at time and you're living your Christian life in your own strength? Do you find that sometimes uh, you just um, 
kind of slide along and, and you don't allow Christ to be formed in you. You just do your own thing. Is there something that you've put ahead of Jesus? Something in your life that, that the way you're relating is that it's more important than him? Talk to God and ask him to forgive you. Be specific. Thank him for dying for you. Father, I'm so grateful for forgiveness of sins, your patience with me, your kindness. Thank you that you've given all of us a promise that if we confess our sins, you will be faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness and that we can have the confidence right now that for every person here who's just confessed sins before you that you've forgiven because it's a promise from you. It's what you do. When we do what you ask, you do what you say. And we can be forgiven and cleansed and we can be forgiven and cleansed as an entire church body right now. And so we thank you uh, for um, the bread and we thank you for the cup that represents the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that were given for us. We thank you that as we hold the bread today and as we take the cup and drink it, that we're reminded you sacrificed us and we're grateful and now it's for us to live our lives for you. Help us to do that for Jesus' sake. So those who are going to prepare communion, please come and uh, do that. And the way we do it at the bridge, communion is open to everybody who considers themselves followers of Christ. And you do not have to be a member of the bridge just to you're serious in your walk with God. And um, you can come to each station, uh, either one, take the bread, take the cup, walk back to your seat, and you can take any time you want, uh, any time that you choose. So, we are ready. You may come.